Hi, I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Every week, we bring you stories about the people, places, and spirit of New York City. It's our own weekly love letter to this great city. Today, we prepared some of our favorite segments about the fascinating places we've explored and interesting characters we've met along the way. In honor of WFUV's spring membership drive, we're bringing you some of the best of Cityscape. We wouldn't be able to make this type of programming without listeners who appreciate it. WFUV is a commercial-free, member-supported public radio station. We rely on contributions from listeners just like you to keep Cityscape going strong. Today, like any other day, we'll bring you unique voices and sounds of New York City, but we need you to do your part. And that's make a financial pledge of support at 877-938-8907. That's 877-938-8907 or online at WFUV.org. Once again, I'm George Boraki. I'm joined in the studio by Cityscape producer Veronica Volk. She's here to tell you a little bit more about how to come on board at WFUV as a full-fledged card-carrying member. During our spring membership drive, you can become a member of WFUV with any amount, any amount at all. But if you call right now and contribute $50 or more, we here at Cityscape will thank you with a copy of Hello, New York, an illustrated love letter to the five boroughs by Julia Rothman. This book uses pictures and anecdotes to take its readers on a journey through this great city. 877-938-8907 or online at WFUV.org. Get into the spirit of spring by starting your own journey using Hello, New York as your guide. That's right. Hello, New York is one part guidebook and one part memoir. Author Julia Rothman recently paid a visit to our studios for a chat. You write in the book that you're often told that you're so New York. What does that mean when someone tells you that you're so New York? Uh, neurotic? I don't know. I uh, have, uh, say, I say draw for... Uh, for drawer. Which is what you put your socks in. Yeah. And people are like, wait, what are you saying? Yeah, so I guess there's a bit of an accent. You go liberal, uh, self-obsessed, maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of things that uh, are known to be in New York traits, I guess. And people see that in you. Yeah, yeah, I get told it all the time. So, The book includes many great finds, including the Spa Castle in Queens, which seems like a really cool place. Tell us about the Spa Castle. Uh, yeah, so it's a Korean bath house. Uh, it's a gigantic building. It has all kinds of, kind of different saunas with different temperatures that you go in and relax. You walk around and you go into these different areas for relaxation. Uh, there, uh, there's some outdoor parts and some indoor parts, and it's sort of like an interesting place to decide to go and explore. You also trespassed, right, on Staten Island to see the tugboat graveyard. Yeah, so there's, I heard, I read about it online somewhere, and we all took a car trip to Staten Island, just parked on the side of the road, and went through somebody's yard, and a sign that said beware of dog and just kept walking and came across all these I guess like rotting boats in the water it was almost like a haunted house type of feeling especially since it was very desolate there and uh, so you know I guess you can climb on them if you want to but I was kind of too scared Um, they look like they're gonna fall apart yeah there's one place in your book that I really, really want to go visit because I've never heard of it before, and that's Dead Horse Bay oh, in Brooklyn. It. No, it's called Bottle Beach too. Sometimes, uh, yeah. So there's all this garbage that wa- washes up on the shore. That's really old garbage, and it's all kinds of stuff like bottles and 
uh, ceramics and you can buy like those little glass bottles at the store for antique bottles for a lot of money but you can just go to bottle beach and collect them all if you want to open your florist shop and have beautiful antique bottles so yeah it's a it's a great place to walk around uh just make sure you wash your hands after the book also includes an ode to the bodega can you read that for us sure it is late and you are glowing buzzing fluorescent light a purring cat to greet my legs my feet recognize the soft curling linoleum you always have what I need, a two-pack of aspirin baking soda for tomorrow morning's pancakes, a scratch-off to bring as a last-minute birthday gift, a place to duck into when I might be getting followed. I wonder how many times the cash register opened that day, how many pieces of gum it takes to stay in business. Somehow you manage, and for that I am thankful. The bodega. It's so New York. It is. I was just in San Francisco and I was, needed a drink. And I was like, where is the bodega? I have nowhere to buy my soda. And I just was lost without it. Julia, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really fun. Julia Rothman is the author of Hello, New York, an illustrated love letter to the five boroughs. You can get a copy for yourself with a contribution of $50. Just call 877-938-8907. That's 877-938-8907. Or make a pledge online at WFUV.org. We have more love letters to New York coming your way soon. But first, if you like the stories and voices you hear this morning, you can find them and much, much more on demand for free at WFUV.org cityscape. Contributions from our listeners help us capture the history and culture of New York and preserve it in our archives. So help us out. Take a couple minutes right now and pledge your support. You can call us at 877-938-8907 or do it online at WFUV.org. Here at Cityscape, we heart New York, and we know our listeners do too. So next up, we have a piece on Milton Glaser, the designer of the iconic I Heart New York symbol. Decades after Glaser created it, you can still see it on T-shirts, tote bags, mugs, and a variety of other souvenirs. After creating the logo, Glaser went on to lead an illustrious career. He designed several other memorable images, such as the Brooklyn Brewery logo. He also co-founded New York Magazine. I went down to his studio in Manhattan to talk with him about the I Heart New York logo and its enduring qualities. Where is the most interesting place you've seen the logo pop up? Oh, it's all over. It's, somebody wrote a long time ago that it was he was a photographer in Africa, and he went into a hut, and there it was on the side of a, somebody's hut. Uh, it, it's been all over in every kind of modification. It's as though the world were really waiting for a way of saying this, right? And it's hard for me to believe that did not exist before. I mean, my reference to this was always the heart that was carved in a tree trunk with your initials on it and an arrow going through the heart. But the fact that this has seemed to have no precedent is absolutely remarkable. What do you love about New York City? What do you heart about New York City? Well, I don't know. You know, the old expression, the fish in water doesn't know it's in water. I mean, I was born here. I've lived here all my life except some years in Italy. But uh, it is my home. I mean, it's the most complex, diverse, interesting place. And a little film that was made about me. At the end, I say it's, 
it's a city in which you can learn more than any place on earth. And I think that aspect of the city is the most extraordinary. You can learn about anything here. And it's, uh, it's a gift that uh, doesn't come easily. After the September 11th attacks, you modified your logo to read, I heart, I love New York more than ever. Yeah, and there was a black stain on the heart. I did that, and I uh, had it printed, and I got the, about 50 kids from the School of Visual Arts to run around the city and put it on every doorway, and so we had 5,000 of those. And it was very important, because at that moment, we all realized, as we do when somebody gets sick, right? We all realized the vulnerability of the city and consequently how much affection we had for it. That was Milton Glaser, designer of the I Heart New York symbol. He's just one of the many characters you get to meet through Cityscape. Today, we're here to remind you that Cityscape comes to you from a member-supported public radio station, meaning we rely on listeners just like you to keep Cityscape on the air. We don't rely on corporate advertising, and we come to you commercial-free. We need you to do your part right now. Pledge your support in the form of a financial contribution. The number to call, 877-938-8907, 877-938-8907, or you can make a pledge online at WFUV.org. At Cityscape, we try to bring you captivating stories about our community and the characters in it. All of us here at WFUV share a commitment to arts and culture, and we know you do too. You can help us out and participate in our storytelling and lifelong learning with a financial pledge of any amount. Call us right now, 877-938-8907, or go to WFUV.org to show your support. Buffalo native Emily Vance shares a tiny studio apartment with her roommate. She wrote an essay for us here at Cityscape in homage to her own small space in this big city. Farm to City, I share a studio apartment with a total stranger. I grew up near Buffalo in a 3,000-square-foot 1860s farmhouse with access to 450 acres of land. Needless to say, my experience sharing a New York City studio apartment for the past three months with a stranger has been an adjustment. Living in a studio apartment means everything is meant for one person. Living with a roommate means those tiny storage spaces like the closet and refrigerator must be split in half so both parties remain happy. Our shared closet is double deep, but the tenant I'm subletting from left much of his wardrobe on the back rung, so effectively three of us are sharing this closet, with my roommate and I commanding the front. I openly admit to dominating this space. When I moved here, I weeded out everything that was out of style, faded, or overworn to ensure I occupied as little closet space as possible. Even though I know that my wardrobe is most functional with one pair of jeans, a dress, and as many tops as there are days of the week, the changing weather and a weekend visit from my childhood friend recently expanded my collection. My post-shopping spree wardrobe leaves no breathing room, and my roommate's clothes are currently squished into a tiny one-foot section of the four-foot-wide space. Surprisingly, though, my roommate has been cool with it. The question now is whether to thin out my wardrobe to make more room for hers or wait for her to ask. I think I may wait it out. My cubby kitchen holds only one person at a time, and it has a lot in common with a torture chamber. I've smashed my elbow countless times on the refrigerator door behind me, stood up into the freezer door above me, flipped the hot pan from the stove accidentally because the overhanging handle extends into the hallway, and unintentionally turned on the burner with my hip almost daily. Although I avoid cooking much there, I've been known to whip up some sloppy joes or tacos every now and again. 
The biggest issue is counter space. I'm thankful to have temporarily inherited a beautiful rolling baker's bench from the tenant I'm subletting from, so any veggies are lined up and sliced or chopped there. Everything else from cooking on the stove to assembling plates is done in the kitchen very carefully. I should also mention that my dishwasher opens only 45 degrees before it bangs into the side of the stove, and our kitchen sink is actually a tiny bar sink. After a delightful night in with friends, the mass of dishes gets washed in the bathroom tub because of the lack of sink space. It's an adventure, to say the least. The third major issue I've had to deal with in my shared studio is privacy. This arrangement is very similar to sharing a college dorm, except for one big difference, my lofted bed. When my roommate returns late or needs to leave early, the loft design keeps the light out of my face as well as blocks much of her routine's noise, like her loud hairdryer and crinkly cereal bag. When we're awake in each other's company, my roommate and I still dress in the tiny bathroom as a form of consideration. This was an unspoken agreement that's worked out well so far. As I mentioned before, she and I are hardly home at the same time anymore, but during the first month, she was often home to study for her RN exam. It made things a bit awkward because she would have her headphones in listening to her videos on the futon while I sat five feet away on Facebook. Breaking the silence with chit-chat felt like a breach of her privacy in a way, so we sat awkwardly, only breaking the silence during one of her occasional snack breaks. It's also an issue when I plan for a friend to visit. I always ask if she's comfortable with them staying overnight or for a few days, and she usually plans to stay with a friend. I feel horrible asking her to sleep outside of her home, but she insists it's no problem. It just goes to show how incredibly important it is to find the perfect person. Despite these few uncomfortable issues, I'm learning to cope well in this small space. I would definitely recommend studio living, even with a roommate in New York City. It's certainly a one-of-a-kind experience and makes for some interesting stories. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Today, we're taking a break from our regularly scheduled program. Instead, we've compiled a few segments we've done here at Cityscape over the years that best capture this quirky, crazy city. In exchange for these segments, we're asking you to show how much you value our program by making a financial contribution. Call us at 877-938-8907. That's 877-938-8907. Or go to WFUV.org. Make a contribution of any amount to show us how much you care. And what do we do with that contribution? Well, every dollar we get goes right back into the programming you hear on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org, including Cityscape. Your dollars pay for the microphone I'm talking into right now and the recording equipment we use to go into the field to places like the Troll Museum on the Lower East Side. Reverend Jen, as she likes to be called, wears many hats. Performer, poet, underground movie star, preacher, and lover and collector of troll dolls. I talked with her about her collection. Hi, my name is Reverend Jen. We're here at the Lower East Side Troll Museum. Tell me about the Troll Museum. How did this museum come to be? Well, I had a few hundred trolls, and they were taking up a lot of space in the apartment, and I had this room that I use as a painting studio mostly, and I thought, well, 
Why don't I just put all the trolls in one room and call it a troll museum? How did you come to collect so many trolls? Well, oftentimes people give me trolls and I, you know, willingly take them. But I started collecting them when I was 11. What drew you to trolls? I like things that are cute and ugly, but I honestly don't know what the initial attraction was. Unlike, you know, they were very groovy. I like their smile, their outfits, etc., etc. And then as the years have gone by, since people know I like trolls, they'll bring them to, I host an open mic, so sometimes they'll bring me trolls to my open mic, or I see them at a flea market. I don't buy trolls on eBay generally because that's like cheating, you know? Do you recall the first troll yeah. that you collected? She's right here. Uh, the big uh, red-haired one in right the up yellow there. felt dress. Yes, her name is Adriana, and she's a Norfin troll. Norfin trolls are really the first uh, type of troll that there ever was. A guy named Thomas Dam in the late 50s in Denmark carved a troll doll for his daughter and gave it to her for Christmas. And once her friends got a load of it, they were like, well, we want one. And then within a couple of years, there were troll factories all over Denmark. And then because of a flaw in the copyright license, a lot of companies started to market them. And one company in America started marketing Wishnik trolls, this company called You Need a Doll Company. So they really started to promote trolls to the counterculture. They would have ads with trolls in little groovy outfits with psychedelic lettering that said like groovy on them or trolls in t-shirts that said like soap rot skin or don't blow my cool. <laughs> Things that would appeal to hippies. So they also became popular with hippies here. And then obviously in the early 90s they had another phase where they just made a lot of toy companies a lot of money. Now, is there any particular order to this museum to tell that history? Well, as you can see from the museum, we don't have a lot of space here. So as head curator, that's been one very difficult thing. But I start with Adriana. So you see her when you walk in. And also then I get to tell people that Thomas Dam carved the first troll doll, which is an important thing to know. And then over next to it, I have some wishniks from the 60s and a wishnik animal from the 60s it's like a giraffe troll kind of creepy they don't make them anymore it is a little creepy yeah and then you come over here and i like to get this out of the way at the very beginning we have uh like the metropolitan museum of art has a suggested donation we also have a suggested donation however it's three thousand and one dollars and the hope there is that someday someone will go, all right, I'll give you $3,001. I figure if you're going to suggest a donation, you should really suggest a very steep amount. So I guess it hasn't happened yet. Uh, not yet. Usually people leave a dollar or they bring beer or food or something. So, and above it, I have some, some literature. That's a page out of Montgomery Ward's catalog in 1967. You can see that trolls, even a two-headed troll, an extremely rare two-headed troll only costs 99 cents. Woo! How much would it go for today? Like 50 bucks, probably. These on this shelf here are particularly unique, unlike the other ones that we see on the shelves. Describe these for us. That's the international shelf. Most of those trolls come from Norway or Denmark. They're obviously a little scarier than the other ones, but I thought it was important to represent trolls as they are in other countries, you know. But really what we celebrate here at the Troll Museum is the American Troll Doll. 
the Troll Museum is a museum for intellectuals, you know, and for other troll collectors and college students and artists and people who just want to have an extremely groovy experience. Now, you said this museum is for the intellectual. What's the takeaway? What do you want people who come here to walk away with, to understand, to get? Well, I want them to get the fact that if, you know, <laughs> if you have an idea, you should just do it. That's kind of what the Troll Museum is really about. I mean, it's about trolls, yes, obviously. But what's happening in New York, it's just getting more and more normal, and that's tragic. So I'm really trying to sustain the weirdness of New York, you know. Well, I can't help it. I mean, I'm not a very normal person. That was Reverend Jen of the Lower East Side Troll Museum. I want to take a moment right now to thank Reverend Jen and everyone who shared their stories with me and our listeners here at Cityscape over the years and say thanks to our listeners who've come through with financial support to keep this program going strong. You can do your part right now with a call to 877-938-8907. That's 877-938-8907 or online at WFUV.org. Just a reminder, you can become a member of WFUV with any amount, but for a contribution of $50, you can get a copy of Julia Rothman's Hello, New York, an illustrated love letter to the five boroughs. Again, make a phone call right now, 877-938-8907, or pledge your support online at WFUV.org. Some of my personal favorite Only New York moments come from down in Brooklyn, like the Williamsburg Spelling Bay. Founded by comedian Jennifer DeZura, this low-stakes contest is hosted at Pete's Candy Store, and it's open to any adults up for the challenge, including hardcore spellers, or just those ironically testing their ability to spell triumvirate while tipsy. Hi, my name is Jennifer DeZura. I am one of the co-hosts of the Williamsburg Spelling Bee. All right, are we ready for a spelling bee? Rockin' yes. Welcome to the Williamsburg Spelling Bee! <laughs> I'm Bobby Blue, and I am the creator of the Williamsburg Spelling Bee, and I'm a, I'm a musician. So here's how it's gonna go down tonight. We have 10 contestants signed up. We're going to call you up in the order in which you have signed up. You're going to come right up here to this microphone, which is currently adjusted for an incredibly tall person, so you can readjust it to your own personal stature. This uh, is an especially unique place to hold a spelling bee, isn't it? <laughs> By which you mean it's a bar in Williamsburg, and this room is really small, sort of looks like a train car, and it's a bit dark. Sort of a long, dark corridor with seats on the side, so there's an aisle, sort of a runway, that the spellers come up when it's time to spell. So that's a really nice thing. The next word I'm going to ask you to spell is naturopathy. Naturopathy, therapy relying on natural agents and remedies. Naturopathy. N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H-Y. That's very nice. That's correct. There are moments that I'm completely blown away. We have a couple of regulars here, and there are a couple of contestants that we have that even though they've been many times, they still uh, amaze you. People will sit in the audience and go, ooh, ah. There is alcohol. Um, unfortunately for the bar, I think, spellers don't drink as much as people, say, watching a band or uh, attending some other form of entertainment. So I think that uh, some people tend to save the drinking for after the spelling bee is over. We see a lot of people sort of uh, nursing the one drink. But plenty of, people, plenty of people do bring the beer on stage with them. So it adds a little atmosphere, but we don't get any sloppy drunks. Sloppy drunks are not good spellers. <laughs> Dirty hippie child. Just because it's fair trade doesn't mean it's good. Dirty hippie? Oh my God. No, he was making fun. He was making fun of something, and I, I was committing. S L U M G O L L I A. Eight seven seven nine three eight eight nine zero seven is the number to call, or click your way to wfuv.org.
Remember, you can start your WFUV membership with any amount during our spring fund drive. But if you call during this program and pledge $50 or more, we'll give you a copy of Hello, New York, an illustrated love letter to the five boroughs by Julia Rothman, which, much like Cityscape, attempts to capture the spirit of New York through little snapshots of its quirky places and characters. We're winding down this week's episode of Cityscape, so there isn't much time left to get your own copy of Julia Rothman's book, Don't Waste Another Moment. Show us you care right now, 877-938-8907 or online at WFUV.org. If you've ever visited the Wall Street area on a Sunday morning, you may have heard the cascade of ringing bells pouring from the Tower of Trinity Church. I climbed up the winding stairs to the top of the church to learn more about those bells and the volunteers who ring them. My name is Jeremy Bates, and I live here in Lower Manhattan. Here at Trinity, we have a a tower, the tower at the end of uh, Wall Street on Broadway. And about halfway up the tower, there's a room that we call the ringing room. Yeah, you get there by climbing a nice little circular stone staircase. It's kind of out of uh, Hogwarts. And uh, then you go up another ladder or two, and, and you come to a room which is maybe 20 feet square. And the first thing you notice about it is that there are all these ropes hanging down from the ceiling in a circle. Um, and those ropes are each connected to a bell. Each rope goes up to a wheel, and the wheel swings the bell. Each bit of ringing starts with a traditional bunch of words. Um, An option at the beginning is to look around and say, is everybody ready? Which tends to produce a little bit of concentration and fumbling as people look for their ropes and make sure they're all organized. The routine thing to say is, Look to, trouble's going, trouble's gone. And this is the treble who's talking because when we ring the downward scales at the start of any piece of change ringing, it's the treble who's going to ring first. So it's the treble who basically decides when the ringing is going to start. And so he or she, the treble ringer, will announce that with that sequence of words. Now, what I've been trying to do is to encourage people to do that rhythmically. Look to, treble's going, she's gone, and then the bell strikes to set a rhythm with that opening sort of incantation. My name is John Hitchings. I'm from Kindalon, New Jersey. I get a lot of sense of accomplishment from, from being in the team of ringers. I love the sound of the bells, uh, and it's also a lot of uh, mental agility to, to really sort of like ring, one, one in, in ringing the methods that we ring, and two in making it sound as nice as I can. It's our own, it's our own little world, definitely. My name is Tim Barnes. I'm from Chatham in New Jersey. I've been bell ringing actually since I was about 11. When I first moved from England to New York, I really didn't do much ringing at all in the first seven or eight years that I was here. And then out of the blue, the bells were put in here at Trinity. And so that was in 2006. Took up ringing then and have been ringing regularly ever since. It's certainly an art form but it has a strong scientific component, a math component, being the the sequences of changes that we bring. I also like the teamwork aspect of it. It's very much a a team sport or a team pastime. I think also the the whole mechanical side of uh, ringing is interesting, the fact that you're controlling these 
very large heavy bells on the end of a, a piece of rope. It takes a lot of skill, a lot of motor skill to be able to do that well. So I think when you put all those together, you've got a mechanical element, a musical element, a rhythmical element, a teamwork element, an art form with some maths and science behind it. To me, it's a fascinating set of different disciplines, if you like, that all come together in one activity. You do a hard day's work here in the city and then you know you come down here in the evening and you do something that is so completely different and it's it's very absorbing in terms of you have to think hard about what you're doing it's a great way that i find for just emptying your mind of everything else that's gone on uh, in the day so i find it quite relaxing um, from that point of view i'm a manager in the operations department uh, for one of the big banks so yeah this is this is nothing related uh, whatsoever to that Cityscape, a weekly exploration of the people, places, and spirit of New York City. Thank you so much to everyone who came through with a pledge of financial support. If you haven't yet, it's not too late. 877-938-8907 is the number to call. I'll say it one more time. 877-938-8907 or pledge online at WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki. My thanks to senior producer Veronica Volk and producer Taylor Nolk. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.